You know, before I start every podcast, I sit down prior to it and I do uh, quite a bit of preparation going in. I find some of the stories I want to discuss. I try to find the angle or spin that I want to take on the subject matter. Sometimes I come up with my own, you know, scenarios and own topics that I kind of shoot my opinion on. And, you know, it, that takes a little bit of time. And then when you do that, you wait a little bit, sit down. There's like three or four breaking news stories that now you've also got to include on top of it. So, We're going to have a lot of fun today with the podcast as we are just days away from the start of the NHL season, episode 38 of the Second Thoughts Podcast. Let's go. Welcome in, Second Thoughts Podcast. Uh, my name is Kyle Grimard. Thank you for joining me once again on this Friday. Uh, we have a lot of different topics to get to uh, so far today. We are in the final division of our divisional breakdowns, which is a lot of fun. It is the all-Canadian division. We're going to do four teams today and then three teams on Monday. Uh, make sure you are, you know, whatever you're streaming on, I appreciate it, whether it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you would like to give a review, a rating, by all means, let me know what you'd like me to include moving forward, maybe some things that you enjoy about the podcast. I'd love to hear both sides of the argument. Uh, follow me along on Instagram and Twitter at Second Thoughts P, and my handle is at Kyle Grimard if you want to follow me personally. Uh, tonight, I am back on Friday nights with Mike Stubbs, who is the voice of the London Knights on 980 CFPL News. He uh, has taken a couple of weeks off, but is back at it tonight. I jump on just after 7 o'clock. His show runs from 6 until 8 p.m. A lot of surrounding news leading up to the start of the NHL regular season happening on January 13th. Uh, we got to get to some more signings ahead of the season. I I have a trade proposal today between two clubs who could probably swap two of their better centers in their organizations and why it makes sense for both teams in terms of cap, in terms of fit. I can break that all down for you. Uh, Like I said, we'll get to the uh, divisional breakdowns for the North and uh, a couple of teams getting some good news in Canada before the start of the season as well. But Before we start the podcast today, I just, I want to take a quick second here to talk about the events that have transpired over the past couple of days in uh, Washington, D.C. at Capitol Hill. Um, You know, 2021 has gotten off to a little bit more of a rougher start than we can all imagine, and it is really disappointing and awful to see the events that have transpired over the last couple of days. Uh, I, I really hope that this is just a blip and that the world can come together and turn around It's difficult to see the events that have taken place and what people have been able to get away with, uh, specifically in the United States over the last couple of days versus, um, you know, some of the more awful events that took place in 2020. I'm not here today to talk politics or get political with you. All I just, I'm just hopeful that somebody with power, somebody who has the ability to make a difference, who is in a position of power and can use their platform to make a difference and can start rallying people around, um, rises up and, and does something because they are showing frame by frame footages of what happened to peaceful protesters for Black Lives Matter versus white supremacists who have walked right through Capitol Hill, who have stolen items from the Oval Office, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I I really hope that somebody, a lot of people are speaking up, a lot of people are saying, you know, how they feel about this, and it's all fantastic because 
you know, the, the more and more people speak out about it, the more impact it's going to make and the more opportunity that um, something does in fact change. But uh, I, I really truly hope that someone in a position of power, specifically someone who is involved with the government, someone who has who has pull in the office can slowly start to make that change possible and we can look towards a better and happier 2021. Like I mentioned before the start of the podcast today, you know, I do I do tons of prep. I do tons of, you know, I, I do some research before what I talk about. I don't just, you know, willy-nilly find a, a piece of information, read from it, and then and then go from there. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes some breaking news stories come into place and you've got to kind of you've got to adapt on the fly. So uh, the first story here is that uh, New Jersey Devils goaltender Corey Crawford has taken an indefinite leave of absence for personal reasons. This was announced just earlier on. Uh, the New Jersey Devils signed him to a two-year $7.8 million contract in October, if you remember. Crawford, who turns 36 years of age on December 31st, played the first 13 years of his career in Chicago. He won Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks in 13 and 2015. Uh, the other goaltender is Mackenzie Blackwood, who played the majority of games this past season, so uh, New Jersey is 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 fine in net for the time being. They were going to be like a one A one B tandem. It might just put a little bit more stress on Mackenzie Blackwood, but um, you, you know none of the players really under all they've they've heard the news the same way we're hearing the news through social media, through you know just interactions with the team, just saying hey, you know Crawford's not going to be with the team. This is what Mackenzie Blackwood had to say. I hope he's all right. I just hope that whatever he needs to do to feel good or be happy, he gets that. We all support him. We're here no matter what. Now, there was no specific reason specified as to why Corey Crawford took his leave of absence. All it says here is for personal reasons. Uh, so, so whether it's family matters, whether it's just he needs to take a step back because... You know, we're only eight days into 2021 and already events have transpired that have, you know, made a lot of people sit back and think about a few things. And if you remember, you know, when the NHL returned to play last year for the start of the play-in rounds and into the bubble, you know, some players just opted out altogether. They said, listen, I, I can't leave my family in this situation right now. Some players, you know, Tuka Rask, you know, went into the bubble, thought they could get through it, realized that their family was struggling a little bit or had some other personal reasons to attend to, and then left the bubble. Every Every team, every player understood. Uh, there was no questions asked whatsoever. So uh, I just hope whatever is going on with Corey Crawford right now, he can come back. He, he can return. He can he can be happy. He can find what he needs to find, uh, get done when he needs to get done, and hopefully uh, return safely. If he needs to take the year off, he needs to take the year off. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't rush any of these circumstances. Uh, just hopefully that he's he's happy and he finds what he's looking for. Uh, the other breaking news story that we'll get into, uh, the Dallas Stars unfortunately had a little bit of a COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, six players and two staff members tested positive for COVID-19. That was announced today as well. As a result of the positive tests, the league is in the process of reviewing and revising the team's schedule with the expectation that the team will not open its 2020-2021 season earlier than Thursday, January 19th. That was said in a statement. Uh, the Stars were were set and ready to go. They were supposed to open with two games against the Florida Panthers on January 14th and 15th, and then two more games against the Tampa Bay Lightning on January 17th and 19th. Uh, the plan right now is to reschedule all games affected by the delay. This is from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. 
Uh, Dallas uh, had obviously canceled the team's practice on Friday morning as a result. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets also held out a large number of players from practice due to COVID-19 protocols. So th- this is going to be an issue all year long. This is this is not something that, you know, you kind of see it once, you avoid it for a bit, and then everything. There are going to be a lot more bumps and bruises down the road. We saw it with Major League Baseball. We saw it weeks into the season. A lot of people were even debating, including myself, whether they were going to finish the season or not. We see it time and time again in the National Football League. A, a playoff team right now, the Cleveland Browns head coach tested positive. He might not be able to coach the game on Sunday. Um... We saw cases all throughout the 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 NFL season, games getting rescheduled, players having to be absent. That is going to be a thing. That is going to be a constant thing due to the travel, due to the interaction with different people and, and everything else in between. It This is not a storyline that's just going to kind of fade away because hockey started again. And, you know, players and teams are going to have to be as safe, as cautious as possible, follow every single procedure that they need to in order to get themselves ready to play each and every night. Because if, if, you, if you get tested, it's different for football. Football, you play one game a week. NHL, you're going to be playing four, five, sometimes six games a week. Like, it's going to be busy for teams. There won't be weeks where you only play two games. Not in a 56-game shortened season. Minimum, you are playing three, four games a week. So if you have to miss time because of because of COVID-19 protocols, you're going to miss a, a significant amount of the regular season. But I'm just saying, this is not something that's going to go away. This is something that every team is going to have to very closely monitor because if any of their players fail to to, to follow safety procedures or they are exposed to it, they're going to have to sit out. This is why there's a taxi squad. The league has prepared for this. You know, that's why each team has six goalies at camp right now. Because if a goalie or two were to go down, you've got four more on the taxi squad ready to go. That's why that's why teams are four goaltenders deep. That's why Toronto has four goalies with legit NHL experience. You've got Frederick Anderson, you've got Jack Campbell, Aaron Dell, and Michael Hutchinson. I know the joke around Michael Hutchinson was that he was just he did not work out in Toronto last year, but listen, teams might experience having to go down to their third and fourth options in net for a significant portion of time and for multiple games this season. Some teams could lose their top two centers because they quarantine together, they are exposed together, and they have to sit out for four, five, six days, whatever the protocol suggests. That's why teams that that's why teams have, have Washington Capitals, when they sign Chara, they are eight minimum eight defensemen deep who have legit NHL experience and, and could crack a top six on any team in the National Hockey League. That's why teams are so deep everywhere. That's why, like, when everyone's like, oh, why is Toronto re-signing Joe Thornton? They already have Jason Spezza. You cannot expect the unexpected. You can't anticipate for what is going to come this season. This is the most wild card, up in the air, unprecedented, crazy season we're ever going to experience in NHL history. This is going to be a regular thing. Dallas is not going to be the only team that misses games due to COVID-19 protocols. I will, I can, as a betting man, I will put a hell of a lot of money on that. Now, this is not to, to scare you that the season is in jeopardy, right? Leagues have shown perseverance. Leagues have shown ways to get around it. Rescheduling, all of that stuff can be done. 
I'm just saying this is like, it's not like we're not going to hear this moving forward. This is going to be a regular subject. If you're tired of hearing about COVID-19, I suggest you don't listen or follow any news regarding the NHL season because it's been it's been around football all year long. It's been around baseball all year long. It's still around the NBA all year long. It's not going away anytime soon. We need to embrace it. We need to understand this is why the taxis, this is why teams are carrying 36 players. Because at some point, you could have 10 plus players exposed to it. And you need reserves who are not, who haven't been exposed themselves. So hopefully, hopefully the, the league, the teams, the players can keep these to a minimum. That if games need to be rescheduled, that if things need to be shifted around, they can do so with ease. Uh, but, but don't plan on this going away anytime soon. Let's just hope that everyone affected on the Dallas Stars is okay and they can return to play uh, once things clear up for them. Okay, so now that we've got the two breaking news stories out of the way, we'll get on to some of the other headlines surrounding the National Hockey League this week. And we're going to start with this one over in Boston. And, you know, when Zidane Chara made the announcement that he was going to sign with Washington, obviously the vacancy for the captaincy was open. But it was never a debate as to who was going to get it. And there was never a doubt that the Boston Bruins named Patrice Bergeron the 20th captain of the Bruins in franchise history. The Bruins made the announcement on Thursday. So, like I said, Zidane Chara, who departed to free agency, was the team's captain since 2006, a 14-year reign. He had guided the Bruins to a Stanley Cup victory in 2011, had also gone to a couple finals appearances as well. Uh, David Krejci, Brad Marchand will serve as alternates, but Patrice Bergeron, 35 years of age, has spent his entire career in Boston since being selected by the team in the second round of the 2003 draft. You remember that World Junior team where it was like Crosby, Bergeron, and Perry and just a wild team. Uh, Bergeron, who is now going to be entering his 17th season in the league, he's played in over a thousand games, has 532 goals and 517 assists. This was a statement from uh, Don Sweeney, general manager, saying that Patrice Bergeron exudes leadership, character, talent, will, and empathy. We all know Bergie embraces the legacy of the Boston Bruins, and he will with the captaincy. Throughout his career, I mean, it's 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 blatantly obvious. Patrice Bergeron has been one of the league's premier two-way forwards. He's known as one of the best defensive centermen in all of hockey. He's a nightmare to play against when his line is opposing uh, your teams. And he has been, you know, he's been up for the Selkie Award a handful of times. He's uh, he's been nominated for it. This is a crazy stat. He has been nominated for the Selkie Trophy for the last nine consecutive seasons. Has won it in 2012, 2014, 2015, and 2017. I just feel like with the Selkie, it's kind of like the MVP in the NBA, right? You know it's going to LeBron James every year, but you got to give it to some other players every now and then. So LeBron's always nominated for it, but he doesn't always win it. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with Bergeron and the Selkie. Like, you know he's he's still the one of, if not the best two-way defenseman or defensive defenseman in hockey you just got to give it to other guys like Ryan O'Reilly and there are some other very good candidates as well but Bergeron kind of put that staple there he kind of took it on along with it was like him and Pavel Datsuk for the longest time going back and forth on who was going to win the Selkie um, uh, he's also been recognized in a multitude of other ways with his contributions off the rink uh, he won the King Clancy Trophy back in 2013, uh, which you remember is awarded annually to an NHL player who best exemplifies leadership qualities both on and off the ice. And he took home the NHL Foundation Award player uh, in 2014 as well. 
Like I said earlier, there's not much surprise with this move. It makes all the sense in the world for Patrice Bergeron to carry on the legacy. And he's one of those guys when you look at him and it's kind of like the situation similarly in LA for the Kings. You know, Dustin Brown was the captain for so long, but you had these budding superstars and Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar who, you know, you could picture them as leaders or captains of this team as well, but you had somebody else occupying the position. You remember when when Brendan Morrow was the captain of the Dallas Stars, but you had all these other guys and you had Mike Medano there at times and just it made all the sense in the world to kind of move the captaincy on and you thought these guys should have been captains so long ago. Uh, the only difference is Dustin Brown is still with the Kings versus, you know, Zidane Nachar obviously left due to free agency, but Bergeron, you know, basically was like a co-captain for Chara for the last, I don't know, five, ten years, you could probably say, but really over these last five, he has cemented himself, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of what leadership said at Boston, you know, he exemplifies everything that the Bruins are as an organization, toughness, hard work, and whether you like it or not, respect. You know, I know Brad Marchand has done some questionable things in the past, but you look at every other player on that team. You know, Bergeron, one of the more respected players in the game. David Krejci, an incredibly respected player in the game. Uh, you know, when, Z when Zidane Ochar was there, he's incredibly respected and, and, and well-liked around the National Hockey League. Tuka Rask, the same way. Uh, you know, like I said, they've got Brad Marchands and, you know, to an extent, Charlie McAvoy as well. But he exemplifies everything Boston wants to be and and with him as a leader, they can they can do so with ease. So congratulations to him. Well-deserved. Seemed like a long time coming. Just had to slowly wait it out. 35 years of age. Never too late. Uh, let's move over to Canada here for a bit. And, you know, with the start of the NHL season now five days away, there were still some provinces that hadn't given the green light of the approval for teams to play in their own buildings. Well, a couple of teams did get the green light. Ontario government allowing the Toronto Maple Leafs and Ottawa Senators to play in their home arenas just in the nick of time. Uh, Ontario Minister for Sport Lisa McLeod announced yesterday that the Leafs and Sens will be allowed to host their games. Uh, this is a quote from them saying, uh, this approval was granted after close scrutiny of the rigorous health and safety protocols that will be adapted for the player staff and our community safe from the spread of COVID-19. While permitted the Ontario's NHL teams to play the game we all love to watch. Now, Ontario is the second last province to sign off and approve the play. Uh, they join British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec as they have already given their teams permission to host games in their provinces. Manitoba still has yet to give the Jets the green lights, but at this point it is you know seemingly only a matter of time. But again, with, with five days to go, there's not really a ton of time left. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that whole situation unfolds as well. Uh, like I said, season set to begin January 13th. All Canadian teams realigned in the North Division. It's going to be, they're going to be exclusively playing one another so they don't have to lead the country in and out. So obviously, this is all information that we knew, but uh, really good sign. Ontario signing off. Uh, now Manitoba, you're, you're the last one's to go guys come on get this signed off so uh, everything can be scheduled as a go and we can get started with the NHL season on the 13th of January. Now I want to move over to the Columbus Blue Jackets here and, and after we talk about the signing I want to talk a, a scenario I've come up with in my head. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets signing forward Oliver Bjorkstrand to a five-year contract extension with an AAV of $5.4 million. This was a couple of days ago. Uh, he had one season remaining on his current deal. 25-year-old uh, is now signed through the 25-26 NHL season. Uh, Bjorkstrand, he led the Blue Jackets this past season with 21 goals 
despite missing 21 games due to injury, he also added in 15 assists. Uh, he was a third round selection by the Blue Jackets all the way back in 2013. Uh, he's played in 246 games. He has 65 goals and 68 assists. This was kind of like his coming out party for the team. Uh, he was spectacular when he was playing top six minutes when he was on the top power play line. I remember I, I had him in fantasy and he was just a random pickup and he carried me when he was healthy. So uh, really good for him to get that deal inked and, and signed and, and all solidified. And hopefully he can help Columbus continue to take that next step. You know, he was a big reason why when he was vacant for those 21 games, Columbus struggled mightily to put the puck in the back of the net. And, you know, when you're missing 21 goals from your roster for a significant portion of your season, you know, that's going to affect. That's like when teams lose some of their best players. You know, that 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 efficiency, that that, that goal scoring to total, that, that gets passed on to some of the other players. And when they fail to kind of carry the workload, it affects the team. And in Columbus, you know, you could tell they kind of were hurting a little bit. But with him back in the fold, he's healthy. He's ready to go. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a nice to see. Hopefully he has a healthy season, can play for the full 56 games. And who knows? Like, he basically played in 56 games this past season, still put up 21 goals. He's got a very realistic shot at hitting that number, maybe even surpassing it when the season comes to an end. So huge congrats to Oliver Bjorkstrand for getting that deal signed uh, and being locked in for the next five years, gets paid. Uh, and, and the reason I brought that story up is I want to I go over here. and I, I have a situation that I want to present. There's been some rumors going around, and one of them is involving Pierre-Luc Dubois. Now, he did sign a two-year contract extension to stay with Columbus, but, you know, he was looking for a longer-term deal, and, you know, rumor has it that during the negotiations, um, you know, some bridges were burned, some things were said, and he is looking for a fresh start. The Islanders started camp, and up until this point, and I haven't got a notification yet, but Matthew Barzell does not have a contract in place and can't go on the ice until he is signed to a deal. Hear me out. What if, if the cap situations can work out, Pierre-Luc Dubois to the Islanders and Matthew Barzell to the Columbus Blue Jackets? Like I said, Islanders have started camp without, without Matthew Barzell and they have you know not a lot of cap room to get him signed to a long-term deal. Columbus... Like I mentioned, two-year bridge deal with Dubois, relationship is a little tarnished. He's looking for a change of scenery. So I did. I, I went through some of the numbers here. The New York Islanders have roughly $3.9 million in cap space right now. This is without a contract signed for, uh, for Barzell. Columbus has $4.2 million. This includes the Bjorkstrand and Dubois signings right now. With the Islanders' cap situation the way it is, obviously it wouldn't be straight up. But would this not be a good move for both teams? I know on last episode of the podcast, I talked about it just kind of happened to work out that Jack Roslovic over in Winnipeg is sitting at home right now without a contract. His home just happens to be Columbus and there could be a move there. But there's already two, they already have the number one and number two centers in, uh, in Winnipeg in Mark Shifley and Paul Stasny. So Dubois there wouldn't make any sense. The cap implications could be all over the place too. That one would be, that's, it's a tough go. It, it was just fun because the storylines about Dubois needs to change his scenery. He could, he's Canadian. He could go to a Canadian team. And then you got Rosovic, who's from Columbus. You know, he could trade him there. But hear me out here. Dubois, Dubois already plays for a coach in, in John Tortorella, 
who clearly pushes his players, makes them play hard minutes, both ends of the ice, and Pierre-Luc Dubois took a big step this past year. Matthew Barzell has, you know, been with Barry Trotz, who is a very defensive-minded coach, who makes you adapt your game to him. And, you know, for, for some of it, you know, Matthew Barzell has had a little bit of difficulty sometimes playing defensive hockey. It's kind of capping his offensive abilities, something he might have a little bit more freedom to do in Columbus, specifically due to the point that Columbus struggled to score goals. Pierre-Luc Dubois makes $3.5 million his first year and then 6 and a half the next year. You only got to worry about the first year. Islanders have $3.9 million in cap space. That would be enough to fit under the cap. And that $3.5 million, in addition to the $4.2 million, along with Bjorkstrand, Domi, everyone locked up in Columbus, that's almost $8 million in cap space. That should be enough room to get Matthew Barzell signed to a deal, maybe to like a four-year deal at like seven, seven and a half million dollars. Am I saying a four-year deal is ideal for either one of those parties? No. But I'm saying instead of signing a two-year bridge deal or you know signing a super max deal, like an eight-year deal, but you got to pay him eight, nine million dollars. I have no idea what Barzell's range is here. But it makes a lot of sense. Now you throw in a couple draft picks, some minor league players, some other players to kind of uh, work the cap implications. But does that not make a little bit of sense? Dubois goes in and he can be your number one center. And then Jean-Gabriel Pajot can be your number two center in New York. New York doesn't lose, you know, any of its of, of, of its playing style because Dubois has already kind of learned under a tough coach. Barzell gets to go to a fresh scenery. He gets a new change. He gets to play with some, you know, some young studs like Alexander Tetchier and Oliver Bjorksbrand and Max Domi. And you've got Liam Foody and Cam Atkinson, along with the skill of a Matthew Barzell. And you play with a tough coach who recognizes players' talent. Remember, when, when Artemi Panarin was there, Torts was the coach, and Panarin put up a bunch of points. Barzell can do the same thing. He's already learned the defensive structure of the game under Barry Trotz. Now again, I, I go through these numbers. Dubois makes $3.5 million his first year. He signed a two-year $10 million contract. Year one, he makes 3.5. Year two, he makes 6.5. Three and a half is enough to fit under the cap for the Islanders, which is set at $3.9 million. That $3.5 million comes off the books for Columbus in addition to the $4.2 million they already had in cap space. They've got Max Domi already locked up, Oliver Bjorkstrand locked up. They don't have anyone else really to sign here. That gives them roughly $8 million in cap. That should be enough to get a deal done for Matthew Barzell, allow him to go to camp. And like I said, I, I don't think of it as a one-for-one -one deal. Uh, you know, I... I don't know what picks would get swapped. I don't know what players would be involved in the trade. But I'm just saying, if the base of the trade starts with Pierre-Luc Dubois on one side and Matthew Barzell on the other side, I think it makes a lot of sense for both teams. You know, there's already tension between Dubois and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Clearly, Lou Lamorello is a tough negotiator and Barzell does not have a contract. We are five days away from the regular season and there could be a potential holdout there if he doesn't sign. I, I think that these two teams should should connect with one another. They're both in the states. It's not going to uh, interrupt in terms of you know there just be might be, uh, there has to be a little bit of quarantine that gets involved when players swap. But you know it's not like a team from Canada is trading a team with the United States and there has to go through the border and all that crazy stuff. So 
I don't know. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, I didn't, you know, I, I had no idea beforehand, so I did some some research around the cap implications. The cap implications seem to make sense not only for both teams, but for both players. And then in the meantime, in the next couple of years, once the Islanders gain a little bit more cap space, if the cap starts to go up a little bit, after Dubois' contract, a two-year one ends, maybe they can sign into a longer deal. New York is, you know, it's becoming more of a respected franchise. Barry Trotz, like I said, is one of, if I, I said he's the best coach in hockey. So he's going from John Tortorella to Barry Trotz, Dubois is. So, you know, you're getting one great coach, getting another great coach. I think Barzell probably has a little bit more leniency and room to kind of do what he wants over in Columbus. He gets to play with some really high-end skilled players over there. And, you know, it's just a theory. But it's one that I thought of. I think both teams are kind of in need right now and are looking to resolve scenarios that of, of problems that they both have. And I think that they could really help each other out. And that conversation starts with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Matthew Barzell. Uh, all right, let's get to a couple new signings here before we get into the... Uh the divisional breakdowns and one that I want to get to. So the New Jersey Devils, you know, some tough news involving Corey Crawford earlier, but they go out and they re-sign Sammy Vatnin to a one-year deal after trading him in 2020. Uh, the deal is a one-year contract worth $2 million. So if you remember, Vatnin was with the Devils for the past three seasons before being traded to the Carolina Hurricanes at the trade deadline last season. Uh, in, in, in the deal, they require, they acquired a couple uh, players, a third-round pick, which was used to select goaltender Nico Dawes. Now, if you remember before, the 29-year-old had appeared in 154 games for New Jersey. He had 12 goals, 56 assists. Before then, uh, he was acquired from the Anaheim Ducks in 2017, where he he spent five seasons there as well. And it, it, listen, it's a good move. He was sitting around. He took a discount at only $2 million. He's still, a, he's only 29 years of age. You know, has played top four minutes before, sometimes playing top pairing. Uh, New Jersey, you can pair him once again, or you can put him behind uh, P.K. Subban, who's looking to have a rebuilding year. You've got Damon Severson. So your right side is actually pretty solidified. You bring back a guy who already knows the system in New Jersey. So it's not going to be a new transition for him. He knows the players. He knows the coaching staff. He knows the, the culture around there. You know, maybe New Jersey has an opportunity to kind of build a little bit, have their young guys grow. And, and, and Votnin goes back to an environment where he feels comfortable. He signs a one-year, bets on himself. If he has a good year, maybe he's in line for a payday moving forward. But I think I, I think it's a good move for the Devils. I really do. I think it's a cheap one. I think it's, it's, it's a low-risk, high-reward one. God forbid that something happens and New Jersey doesn't, you know, get off to the start they're looking for and they're looking to, to be, you know, sellers at the deadline again. They can use him as another trade piece. We've seen teams do this before where they they have guys on the roster, they trade him at a trade deadline with one year left on their contracts. Once the year ends, they re-sign back with the organization who originally traded them. I saw this happen with Toronto. They, they, they signed and traded Daniel Winnick. I think two separate times um, to two different teams. I think one was like to San Jose. The other one was to Washington um, and, and they got picks for it. So, I mean, by all means, like it's not... It's not illegal. It's something that you can do. And, and the Devils are in a position where, you know, teams are probably going to be looking for a, a right-hand shot defenseman in a COVID-shortened season where, where players are going to be getting positive tests and they're going to have to go through quarantine and teams are going to need players to play. Um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, you know, it's a good little signing for the Devils. So good on them. Um, that was the only really, uh, you know, notable signing that we wanted to get to today. Uh, let's get into our final division here for our divisional breakdowns. 
So far with the divisional breakdowns, we have covered the West Division, the East Division, and the Central Division. And finally, we have come on the North Division, the All-Canadian Division, where all seven Canadian teams have been wrapped into and are going to be playing each other throughout the course of the regular season. We're going to see the Battle of Toronto and Montreal ten times. We're going to see ten Battle of Albertas between Calgary and Edmonton. We get to see the rivalry between Montreal Ottawa. We get to see a Winnipeg-Toronto and the Line A and Matthews, you know, heated rivalry. Vancouver-Edmonton is always a ton of fun. Uh, you got Calgary going against Vancouver and stealing like four of their players who are going to be playing on the roster this year and oh honestly I understand that it's a little bit biased being a Canadian but I I am so excited and I know it's only a one-year thing because the NHL talked about that they're not interested in continuing Canadian division after this year but I am so excited that we have an opportunity to see you know multiple matchups in a row with some of the most intense rivalries in this entire sport and I'm all for the Canadian division I had a buddy of mine who was talking about it. he said you know it's going to kind of be a letdown as the season goes on I only think it's going to intensify more and more I think what you saw with Calgary Edmonton last year that's only going to intensify and get bigger. I think Toronto-Montreal, I think both teams are slowly on the rise. I think that rivalry is going to get heated. Ottawa has a bunch of young guns and some new pieces. They could be, you know, you know, give teams a run for their money too. I want to see how Vancouver does and just, oh, I'm just, I'm so excited to see how this division unfolds. And uh, today we're going to break down the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers, Vancouver Canucks, and the Winnipeg Jets to close out or the first half, sorry, of the North Breakdown. And then on Tuesday's episode of the podcast, a day before the season starts, we'll do the Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators, and Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's start with the Edmonton Oilers, who finished second in the Pacific Division this past season, and uh, and get into them a little bit. So for, for what they did, they were unfortunately eliminated by the Chicago Blackhawks in the play-in round of the playoffs. Um, you know, looking back on their season, you know, the, the fact that they had an opportunity to play for it after missing the playoffs the last season was a, was a good push for them. Uh, and this is a team who, you know, you know what they are up front. You know, they were in the top half of the league in scoring. You've got two of the most dynamic players in, in, in all the sport and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you know, kind of middle of the pack and goals against. But the one thing, you know, that I noticed about Edmonton that I really liked about them was their goal differential. They had a plus eight goal differential all year long, despite all these different question marks, you know, surrounding their goaltending tandem. And, you know, and those questions or concerns are going to be put into next year as well. You know, it, it's the one thing I will say about them is, you know, it's got to be more than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. It can't just be, you know, it, it can't be those two over and over again in, in 56 games and have them have to put up 90 points each just to make the playoffs. It's just, it's not feasible. They're clearly capable of doing it. But if Edmonton can find a way to not ask that much from their from their two superstars on a daily basis, it's going to make things a lot easier for them. Uh, I'm looking at their roster right now, and guys like, uh, you know, this guy had a really good year last year, but they want more from him. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he had a pretty strong season this past year. Uh, you have, uh, you know, James Neal, a guy who put up 20-plus goals, who really came back into his own this past year. Kyler Yamamoto, they want him to make, I know, another step in his development. He played really good alongside Leon Dreisaitl. They need more of him. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, you know, the big question mark around the third overall pick 
pick a few years back. You know, is he going to come in and make an impact on this team? Is he going to play top six minutes? Is he going to earn top six minutes on this roster? That's a big question mark too. Um, but as I as I go in, you know, is, is Zach Cassian going to continue to take the load? They they signed Dominic Cahoon, Tyler Ennis is back for one more year. Alex Chason, can they get more from him? It's a matter of, yes, you know the top two lines with McDavid and Dreisaitl. They're going to score. They're going to produce. It's what's going to happen afterwards. And there's one sneaky signing that Edmonton made that could really make that difference. And that's Kyle Turris. You know, Kyle Turris at one point was regarded as, you know, one of the better sentiment in hockey. He was a guy in Nashville and in Ottawa who was putting up 50, 60 points a year. You know, he goes over to Nashville and his, you know, he really had a, a tough couple of years uh, points wise and just was not the same player for some reason. So maybe a change of scenery, you know, do back to a Canadian team. Maybe he gets the juices flowing. He's not going to be forced to play, you know, against the team's best de- uh, defensive tandems because that's going to fall on McDavid. That's going to fall on Dreisaitl on those lines. So if he can take advantage of that third line and really expose them and get back to a form that he was in, you know, he has a chance to have a nice little season here. Um, you know, the, the question marks surrounding their defense. How is their defensive front going to fare? Uh, Oscar Kleffbaum, unfortunately, announced earlier that he's going to be out for the season with a shoulder injury. He was placed on IR. He will not play this year. So a lot of the responsibility now falls on guys like Darnell Nurse. It's going to fall on guys like Ethan Bear, who really came up this past season. Adam Larson, who out of, out of camp reports saying he's looking really good right now, too. You know, Tyson Berry, they just signed him to a one-year contract. He had a tough run when he was in Toronto. He's looking to get back to the form that he had when he was in Colorado. And if he has an opportunity to play on that top power play unit, maybe play more in an offensive role and not have to worry so much defensively, maybe that falls more on on guys like Darnell Nurse and guys like Adam Larson, who are probably a little bit better defensively. You know, if Barry can get into that role, move the puck to those forwards. But, you know, it's going to be, again, the question mark. He had that role in Toronto. You know, he was put on the top power play unit. There was a thing about Morgan Riley. He relinquished the top power play unit for Tyson Barry so that he could feel more comfortable. And he just never got his bearings right. And it's not like Edmonton's defense is head and shoulders better than Toronto's was. You know, they've got some, they have Darnell Nurse and you've got Adam Larson. And, you know, that was Toronto. You had Riley, Ed Muzzin, but then... You know, question marks. You know, is Ethan Bear going to really take that next step forward? Is Evan Bouchard, you know, the the he was a top 10 pick a couple of years ago. Is he going to crack the lineup? Um, you know, you're just going to have to wait and see. You know, they have Chris Russell, who they re-signed a one-year contract extension with too. He'll be on the bottom pair as well. So very interesting to see how, how their defensive front works. But, you know, it's, it's defense and goaltending. Like I said, we know what, what McDavid's going to do. We know what Drysdale's do. Those two are going to collect points. They're going to bank bank on that, absolutely. How is secondary scoring going to be? But how is their goaltending going to be? They're going in with the exact same tandem they had this past season, and they were they were they, they started Mike Smith in the playoffs last year. Um, you know they 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 didn't trust Miko Koskinen. They went out and they signed Anton Forsberg, but is he going to be uh, you know a guy you can rely upon? So there were a plethora of goaltenders on the market this past year. You had Braden Holpe, you had Markstrom, you had a bunch of other guys. They were unable to really nab any one of those players. So it's, it's going to come down to that goaltending tandem. Can Miko Koskinen take that next step and, and really solidify himself as that 1A? You've got two guys who you're comfortable with who know the system in Edmonton, but it's a matter of one of those two taking their game to the next level and a guy that they can count on down the stretch if a guy needs to play multiple games. Because right now, from what I'm seeing, they went... 
you know, they went with the exact same tandem as they had this past year. And I just, I went to the news stories and the last two news stories involving those players are, is Oilers yank Smith after Blackhawks score five goals. Oilers make change in goal. Tab Koskinen is game two starter. Koskinen gets lit up. Like it's just, that was an ongoing discussion for Edmonton. If their defense and goaltending can figure it out, you're going to get scoring from McDavid, from Dreisaitl, from Nuge, from Yamamoto. That's a given. But if secondary scoring comes in, if you get solid goaltending, you don't need spectacular goaltending, solid goaltending from, from Koskinen and Smith and your defense holds up, it's a tough task without Oscar Clefbaum. But if they can find their way back in there, Edmonton finished with the highest points um, average of any Canadian team. So they already have that advantage. But if they can build on those things... They're going to be in good shape for this upcoming season. Uh, let's move on to the next team here and let's discuss the Calgary Flames who fell right in behind Edmonton with uh, their third place in the Pacific Division. Now, Calgary, despite having Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan and Matthew Kachuk and, and all those guys, they finished 20th in scoring this past season, 16th in goals against. Uh, they had a goal differential of negative five, which is rare that teams who have a negative goal differential even make the playoffs to begin with. They, in fact, did. But um, nevertheless, it was a, uh, you know, a, a tough end after the first round as well. But a lot of questions and concerns surrounding this team too, you know. Can Calgary build off of, of what they did last year with the added pieces that they brought into their roster? Do They need more from their guys like Johnny Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Kachuk. Lindholm is a guy who is probably the most consistent scorer for this team along with Kachuk. But Gaudreau and Monaghan, I felt last year, really struggled with this team. And they need more from those guys in order for them to take the next step and move past, you know, that first round of the playoffs. You know, the next question I have is, is is Jacob Markstrom. Yes, you went out and you, and you signed um, uh, Chris Tanev and you went out and you signed Jacob Markstrom and you, and you grabbed a couple other players. You know, but can Markstrom be the goalie Markstrom was in 2019? You know, sometimes goaltenders go to a change of scenery and they don't necessarily play up to the level that, you know, they thought they were capable of. Look at Sergei Bobrovsky, Vesna Trophy winner in Columbus, leaves Signs a big $10 million contract with the Florida Panthers. Down the stretch last year, he was not the guy starting. Playoffs come in, they get swept in the first round. Bobrovsky does not have the season he envisioned for his first year there. Is the same thing going to happen to Markstrom? My bet on him is no. Because Markstrom was a goaltender who faced a barrage of shots. He was a guy that was... Uh, Vancouver was always getting outshot last year, and he was a big reason why that team went so far in the postseason before getting hurt. Um, I think Calgary's defense is a little bit better than Vancouver's, and we'll get to that in just a little bit as well. But I, uh, I think Markstrom, along with the duo of Dave Riddich, I think that's going to be one of the best tandems in hockey. That goaltending tandem of Dave Riddich, who you have to remember too, played in like 46 games last year he was the guy that 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 Calgary was going to if you look at his numbers um so so Riddich is going to be a guy he kind of split time with Talbot this last season Cam Talbot goes over to Minnesota now it's going to be the same thing battling with Markstrom I think Markstrom's going to be the one uh but but if Riddich can be that 1A that guy who can who can come in if Markstrom plays 36 games and and Riddich can play 20 that's a really good tandem who you have confidence in each and every night and gives Calgary a really good opportunity to win a lot of games where teams are not as strong at the goaltending position and might struggle a little bit more than Calgary will. So I'm I'm really interested to see that tandem work out this coming season. 
And then defensively, you know, TJ Brody is now in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, you brought in Tanev and, you know, the growth of the growth of Rasmus Anderson, you know, a right-hand shot defenseman who really played well in the playoffs for Calgary this past season. You've still got Mark Giordano. You've still got Noah Hannafin. You've got Anderson. You've got Tanev. It's a solid top four for that roster. But, you know, kind of who's next on that defensive front? I'm just, I'm going up and down the team and... You know, they've got uh, Oliver Kylington, who's a guy who's, you know, not really close to arriving just yet, but, you know, he's going to be a little bit later to camp. They signed Alex Petrovic. They've still got Mark Stone on the back end, so they're, they're fairly deep on defense. But it's a matter of how they're going to adjust without TJ Brody. Brody was a guy who played top minutes in Calgary, uh, you know, alongside Mark Giordano before Rasmus Anderson kind of took over there, but Anderson's going to move up. Tanev's going to slot in. You've got Mark Stone, so defensively I do still like where Calgary is at but it's a matter of those players adapting to the new system if they're going to be the same because like I said they were 16th in goals against this past season they weren't necessarily spectacular if they can improve on that if their stars can score you know a little bit higher rate and and their goaltending tandem can continue to to do what you know I think they're going to do this upcoming season you know this is going to be another team that's going to be a very hard team to beat especially when you're playing them multiple times and you've got a lot of different options for that lineup each and every night let's uh let's stick with the Pacific Division from last year and just move down the list and we will move on to the Vancouver Canucks now they finished fourth in the Pacific this past season before going on that fun little playoff run, uh, you know, really gaining some experience and, and valuable playing time for some of their younger players in that core. Uh, obviously, the goaltending tandem of, of Demko and Markstrom making a big difference and reason as to why they went so far, pushing Vegas all the way to seven games. Um, but, you know, this team last year actually surprised you in a lot of different ways, including goal scoring. Top 10 in goal scoring this past season, eighth overall in the entire league, something that, you know, you wouldn't really come to expect outside of guys like Patterson and Besser but JT Miller was a big reason for that now they were kind of 17th in goals against but their goaltending and defense really kind of came together uh down the stretch there goal differential of plus 11 uh you know the big question and concerns with Vancouver yes you've still got you your core players. You've got Elias Pedersen. You've got Brock Besser. JT Miller's still there. Your captain, Bo Hor- Horvat, who really came in and dominated. You've got Quinn Hughes on the back end, and you've still, you brought in Braden Holpe, and you've got Thatcher Demko as your, like, goaltending tandem. Another really good goaltending tandem in this Canadian division, along with Calgary's. You know, the big concern is, yes, they added Nate Schmidt and Braden Holpe, but th- this team has lost Troy Stetcher, Tanev, Toffoli, and Jacob Markstrom in the offseason, all really big key contributing pieces to this team as to why they went so far. Are they going to be ready to deal with these losses? You know, Tyler Toffoli was a guy who loved it when he came over, really gave this team, you know, secondary scoring when, you know, Besser, Patterson, and JT Miller were that 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 first line, you know, you were looking for some other guys to step in and you had Bo Horvat with, with Toffoli and, and they, they formed a really good one-two line combo for this team. Now Toffoli's not there and you're kind of looking and you're really hoping that that secondary scoring is going to continue because they scored a lot of goals last year. Top 10 in scoring, eighth overall in the entire league. Are they going to be able to continue it with the loss of Toffoli? Troy Stetcher was an offensive defenseman. He went over to Detroit. Tanev is now on Calgary. and You're going to play him 10 times. Markstrom's in Calgary. You're going to have to play him 10 times. Um, 
you know, Schmidt was a really good was a really good get. Only cost him a third round pick, and he's going to slot in behind Hughes there. Um, you know, and Holpe's going to be a nice little you know complimentary piece along with Demko. I don't know who's going to be the day one starter there. It's looking like it's going to be Holpe. Um, Demko is going to be ready to take the take on that load at some point in the next year or two, but. You know, it's it's going to be about the growth of the young guys. It's the growth of Quinn Hughes and continuing his historic season last year. It's going to be Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser and them continuing to carry the load. You know, you see a lot of young teams, you know, put that responsibility on some of their younger guys. Some of them come to the forefront and deliver. Some of them kind of fall behind a little bit. Uh, and again, is Thatcher Demko ready to take up the reins with Holpe there? Are they, is he going to need a year? Is he going to come down? Obviously, obviously, he's going to come down. He had like a 969 save percentage in the playoffs. No goalie's going to have that this year. It's just not feasible. He had like a 1.1 or 1.2 goals against. That's not going to be feasible as well. But... If he can improve his play from the regular season last year to this year and bring in some of that playoff magic that he had, this team's going to be fine in net. Defensively, I worry because the only player that I really recognize on the right side is Tyler Myers. Two of your right-hand regular shot defensemen left for free agency. You're left with Tyler Myers, and that's kind of it right now. So I'm extremely interested to see how this defensive front is going to develop. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going through their team right now. Like I said, Nate Schmidt was there, Tyler Myers. You're going to have um, Ole Levy. You've got Alexander Edler too, So and Jordy Ben. My assumption is they're probably going to have guys who, who shoot left-handed who are going to play the right side. Jordy Ben could be one of them. I think Edler will stay on the left side, but maybe play in that second or third pairing there. You could see Quinn Hughes move over to the right side as well to allow Nate Schmidt to come up into the, uh, into the lineup. So... Um, you know, a couple more names that I, that I kind of forgot there. I, I, Alex Edler, I feel like he's been there forever. I remember him as being like a young buck during the 2011 run or the 2010 run that they had to the Stanley Cup Finals when they lost to Boston. Um, you know, just uh, just a, a super dependable guy. Has, you know, has obviously lost a step or two, but, you know, still a, a veteran presence on the back end. Um, it's just a matter of how, if they're ready to deal with their losses. If they can still find a way to be the team that they were last year, still score at the rate that they did, if their defense can hold up with a couple of their losses, but, you know, Stetcher, you know, being gone, and Tanev, but if if, if some of their other guys like Schmidt and and Hughes and, and Adler, like I mentioned, can step up and fill those roles, um, you know, this, again, this division is the most interesting division because every team I look at, maybe, maybe, outside of Ottawa, I go... This team could easily win this division. Calgary could easily win this division. Edmonton could win it. Vancouver could win it. Vancouver was the, the team that went deepest in the playoffs last year. They were one point behind Calgary, just four behind Edmonton. It's very feasible that they come in and win this division as well. But it's a matter of if they're ready to deal with the losses in Calgary's game. Can Schmidt step in and be the defenseman that they acquired? Can can Demko be the guy along with Holpe to carry that goaltending tandem? And can the offensive responsibilities fall on Pedersen and Besser and be okay? And I I, I got to keep mentioning Bo Horvat because Bo Horvat is a monster. So Horvat, Pedersen, Besser, Hughes. I mean, those are your horses offensively, even though Hughes is a defenseman. If those guys can rally and carry this team offensively, like I said, they've got a shot. They all really do have a shot. And then the last team we'll get to today for the divisional breakdown is the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, different division. They finished fourth in the Central this past season uh, with 80 points. Now, as you go over this team here, you know, Winnipeg was a team last year that they endured. 
they endured the losses of some of their top defensemen and uh, Dustin Bufflin and Jacob Trubo was traded for Neil Pionk. And, you know, they, this team really had, you know, had a very different look defensively from what they had a season prior. Still found a way to get to the play-in against the Calgary Flames. Unfortunately, an injury to Mark Shifley uh, just really kind of put their season at end. Calgary went on to beat them, go on to the uh, first round of the playoffs. But they did acquire a defenseman in a trade last year in Dylan DeMello. He re-signed to a contract there. Uh, they went out and they acquired Nathan Beaulieu. You've got Josh Morrissey. You still have got Neil, uh, Neil Pionk, who's going to be there as well. You went out and you signed Lucas Sabiza. So no, they don't have the biggest names on defensemen like they did in the past couple years with Dustin Bufflin and Truba and, you know, Tobias Enstrom was there for a while too. But Josh Morrissey is a guy who is really coming into his own as being regarded as one of the best defensemen, uh, you know, in the National Hockey League. He's getting to that level. You know, when teams, when, when, when mock... Uh, lineups are made for Team Canada at the 2022 Olympics. Josh Morrissey is a player in consideration. He is that good of a player. Neil Pionk had a very strong season filling in. He was a guy that played on the power play and put up, uh, you know, career-setting numbers. Dylan DeMello could be a guy that steps in and does a uh, does a pretty good job. He he was re-signed to a four-year deal worth 12 million dollars. Um, you know, but defensively, you know, this team systematically was always pretty good, and it's because they're goaltending, and they're going to need that again from Connor Hellebuck. It's the same goaltending tandem as they had this past season. Hellebuck's your starter. Uh, Laurent Brassant is going to be your backup guy. He, you know, he he was playing multiple games last season. He was a guy that stepped in when Hellebuck wasn't in the net, but it's, but it's all Connor Hellebuck. That's the guy. He's the Vesna Trophy nominee, he was your backbone, he was the reason they were in a lot of games they shouldn't have been this past season, and more than likely, that responsibility is going to fall on him once again to carry that load. But up front, you know, this is where the team, this is where you get surprised. They were 16th in goals for this past season, and you know, when you look at this team just on paper, you think, how is this not a top 10 team in scoring? Like, just down the list, Kyle Connor was a guy who really flourished last season. Nikolai Ehlers, Patrick Laine, they just signed Trevor Lewis. You've got Mark Shifley, Jack Rosovic, I know is out right now with a contract dispute, but he was there. You went out and you acquired Paul Stasny. You've got Blake Wheeler. A lot of really big gun names. And the crazy part about it is the fact that all of these guys delivered last season. Outside of Stasny, who wasn't on the team, Matthew Perot was another guy. Like, I remember looking at all these players. And they had Brian Little for a bit before he was put on IR. But Ehlers put up numbers. Connor put up numbers. Line A put up numbers. Shifley put up numbers. Wheeler put up numbers. Like, all these guys put up numbers last season. But for some reason, they were only 16th in goals for. So... It's it's either those players are going to have to step up and do even more than what they did last year, or you know that secondary scoring of Adam Lowry and Matthew Perot and, and Trevor Lewis, those guys are going to have to step up and contribute. Um, you know, it, it sounds to me like secondary scoring was kind of the weakness for this team. When your big guys are getting all those points, like Line had at almost a point per game. I think Connor and Ehlers were around a point per game. Wheeler started coming on towards the end of the season. Shifley was well over a point per game. Rostovic, you know, put up some decent numbers as well. So whenever, when all those guys I'm mentioning are putting up numbers and you're still middle of the pack in scoring, it means your secondary scoring was god awful. And that's what it came down to. And you you need more from like those guys I mentioned and Perot and Thompson. And and that's why you signed Trevor Lewis. And you're hoping for more from your bottom six to contribute. So you take a little bit of pressure off of your top end talent. Because if, if, if those guys are the only ones contributing each and every night, 
the nights that they have off that they don't put in points, you're not winning games. And then you're putting all this pressure on Connor Hellebuck and stress on that defense that does not have the big names you could afford to put some stress on in the past. So if if secondary scoring can come into fruition, if Hellebuck, if Hellebuck puts up another, you know, Vesna candidates performance this season, Winnipeg has an opportunity, but it just looks like the big guns are always going to keep scoring. It's a matter of who's going to step in next, who's going to carry the load when those guys can't. If they can do that, if Paul Stasny can fill in as that second line centerman and really produce and take some weight off the top line, you know, this team, again, another dangerous team with some really big weapons and some some high-end players who could do some damage in this division. When you're playing each other all the time too, sometimes players get the better of some teams. And if Winnipeg starts getting the better of some of these teams, you know, for a lack of defense, you know, look out for Winnipeg, man. They could be, uh, they could be big trouble. But that is it for today's episode. Uh, I appreciate you listening in once again. Like I mentioned earlier on in the show, I will be on Friday nights with Mike Stubbs just after 7 o'clock. It's a program that runs here in London, Ontario. Follow me along at Second Thoughts P on Instagram and Twitter if you have any uh, comments or, or whatnot you want to share my way. You can do so through that platform. If you're listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, thank you very much. Any other platforms you happen to be listening on, I know you're listening whether it's your MacBook, whether it's your tablet, anything like that. If you would like to give me a review, if you want to give me a five-star rating, that would be awesome. I'm just saying. Uh, But until then, you know, enjoy the weekend. Five days remaining before the start of the NHL season. And then we go 116 consecutive days with hockey after not being with it for months and months and months. I can't wait to get to it. The final edition of the divisional breakdowns are going to be happening Tuesday and then Wednesday. Puck drops, baby. Until then, that's a wrap.